0: So we're in the middle of a series titled More Than You, that life is more than you. It's more than this 10-foot radius around us. It's more than this paper crown and temporary kingdom that we actually can build for ourselves or try to build for ourselves, that life is beyond you. We've talked... Over the last few weeks about the kingdom of God, we had Jeff Pankritz talk about uh, international justice ventures of, and what they're doing to bring justice throughout the world. You heard last week about the transformation that God transforms us, but is for more than you. And now today is about the empowerment of the spirit of God. We read in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These words are some of the last words that Jesus spoke and they actually parallel Matthew 28, which we'll talk about next week. But these words frame in the mission that Jesus gives us. How we've articulated it at DAC is to be people who are transformed by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit and launched on mission. That each one of us needs to encounter Jesus, be transformed by him empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he launches us on mission. This isn't a simple linear process. This is more circular. That as you do this, as you experience God's transformation and his empowerment, you will naturally be launched on mission, and you'll see others experience God's transformation, his empowerment, and launch on mission. It should never end until Jesus comes back. Now, both in our statement at DAC and Acts 1-8, there's a question that we have to ask behind this. Is the empowerment of God's Spirit for mission or maturity? Now, already all this talk about the Holy Spirit is kind of throwing you off. uh, Just stick with me here. We'll explain some things along the way if you're not familiar with the Holy Spirit. But is the Holy Spirit for mission or maturity? You're probably saying to yourself, well, both. Yes, and that would be correct, but we have to prioritize one. Is is the Holy Spirit more for mission or more to mature us as believers? When I first encountered Jesus, the Holy Spirit did some amazing things in my life. And as he was working in my life, people identified God's work in my life. And as they identified it, they invited me into positions of leadership and doing things and living on mission. Now, was I mature enough for that? Probably not. But people had identified that God was working in my life and they began to say, let's give this gentleman opportunities. And when you think about the filling of the Holy Spirit in your own life, when you think about the Holy Spirit in your own experience, what comes to mind? Mission or maturity? When you think about the Holy Spirit and the purpose as a follower of Jesus, what comes to mind? mission or maturity. And I believe that Jesus gives us both mission and maturity. But as I've discovered, I believe mission surpasses maturity. Now within the pages of the Bible, we see a lot of emphasis on maturity, and I'm going to talk about that for a little bit. But we also see that those who are called to be more like Jesus are called to live on mission. Many of us know that as you look over just even Christian leaders, there's many people because of a lack of maturity or character have failed and their ministry and name of Jesus has uh, been, been put to shame because of those failures. And so I'm not saying we don't need character, need maturity, but what is the priority? We might be able to qu- quote Greek and Hebrew, We might be able to say the the words of Jesus, but do we live those out? One day when we stand in front of Jesus, will he ask us how mature we were, or did we actually fulfill the mission that he gave to us? So I ask you again, is the Holy Spirit more for mission or maturity? Now there's much confusion around the Spirit of God. We use terms like baptized by the Holy Spirit, filled by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to address some of those terms today. But my hope for you today is that you come to a clear understanding and actually experience God in a greater way in your life. Now, when we talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit and baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you've been around the church for a while, usually that can be connected with things getting interesting, things getting a little crazy. And when I say, I want you to experience God today, you might think, where is this going? What's going to happen? Now, here's the issue with fearing the Holy Spirit. That if we live in fear of the Holy Spirit and fear of his move in our lives, somehow we've made this connection that God makes people go crazy, go nuts. That when God shows up, people become unstable. Now, I I do know that when God fills people with his Holy Spirit, things happen. There's miracles, there's healing, people speak in tongues, and I believe all that is important and necessary, but is that simply the end of it, to give people a personal experience or is there something more? So with our remaining time, we're going to just kind of unpack this a little bit and help you to hopefully walk away with something practical for your life. So first, who is this Holy Spirit we've been talking about? Well, he is God. He is the, one of the three members of the Trinity God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not one third God. We look at the Trinity as kind of 300%. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are 100% God, fully God, and all of them share character qualities. That the attributes of God are true for all of them, for Jesus, for God the Father, and for the Son. So the Holy Spirit will not do anything in contradiction to the Father, the Spirit, or or the Son, and they all work in conjunction with one another. Yes, they are unique, but they all work together. So if you think about it this way, will the Holy Spirit lie to you? No. Will Jesus lie to you? No. Will God the Father lie to you? No. Is God a just God and a merciful God? Yes. So the Holy Spirit is just and merciful. Is God love? Yes, it states in 1 John, God is love, so the Holy Spirit is love. That all the attributes of God are shared with the three members of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. And so if you want to see how the Holy Spirit looks like, look at God the Father, look at God the Son, and they won't act in contradiction to one another. So next, how does the Holy Spirit empower people? Well, first, he empowers us through conviction. Conviction. In John sixteen eight to 11 we read this. And when he comes, speaking of the Spirit, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. So how does the Holy Spirit empower you? He convicts you. What does he convict you of? Sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. Sin, and it says in here that the top sin is unbelief in Jesus. By belief, he also convicts us of other sinful practices in our life. And he puts a finger on it not to condemn us, but to help us be transformed more into his image. It says also that he convicts us of righteousness and of God's righteousness. As we look at God's righteousness, it says in scripture that there is no one righteous, not even one person. And so for us, when we come to God, we don't come with our own righteousness. We don't come with right living and right standards. We come to God a mess, or we could say wrong, and he gives us his rightness. So he convicts us and helps us recognize we are not the right ones. God is, and we need his righteousness in our lives. And finally, he convicts us of the coming judgment. And it speaks about how Satan has been cast down. And that looks prophetically towards the future at that time because Jesus had not yet been crucified. On the cross, he defeated Satan. And he took care of Satan. But Satan still is fighting until the end of time. So Satan has already experienced judgment, but also one day each one of us will experience judgment. It tells us in Scripture that each one of us will stand before the throne of God and give an account for our lives. For those who have said yes to Jesus, that will be a time where he asks us what we have done with his son Jesus. Not where we hid him, but what we did with the life that he gave us. But for those who have not said yes to Jesus, this is a time where he's going to evaluate and say, why should I let you into my kingdom? And ultimately, those who have not said yes to Jesus, it states in Scripture that they will be eternally separated from God. Many people look at God as cruel for sending people to hell, but I don't believe God sends anybody to hell. I believe people make decisions throughout their whole life. And if throughout your whole life you say no to God and you want nothing to do with God, why would he force you to be with him for eternity? That doesn't make sense to me. In a sense, God is saying at the end of your life, if you didn't want me for your whole life, I will give you what you wanted for all of eternity. But the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us of sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. How else does the Holy Spirit empower us? He empowers us by baptizing us into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.12 says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, But all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one Spirit to drink. Often in our Christian lingo, we exchange baptism and filling of the Holy Spirit kind of interchangeably. But for me, I look at a verse like this and I see that we are baptized into the body of Christ once. And that we are called to be filled again and again with the the Spirit of God. So God baptizes every single person who has said yes to Jesus into the body of Christ. Whatever ethnicity you are from, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, Africans, Asians, South Americans, wherever you come from, you are baptized into one body of Christ. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic class, your age, all of us by one Spirit are baptized into one body of Christ. Nobody is better, nobody is worse. We all come together in one body of Christ. But how does he empower us? He baptizes us and makes us a part of the body of Christ, His family. So if you have said yes to Jesus, you have been baptized into the body of Christ. How else does the spirit of God empower us? He empowers us for holy living. He empowers us for holy living. 1 Peter 1, 2 states, God the father knew you and chose you long ago and his spirit has made you holy. You have not made yourself holy, his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Another translation takes that word holy and switches out for a word sanctification. And sanctification means to be holy or to be set apart for a special purpose. That he has set you apart, he has cleansed you, he has made you for a purpose Now, in our tradition here, uh, we are part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And we have this great logo for some of you who are familiar and for those who are not. But here's our logo for the Christian Missionary Alliance. And it looks at it as Jesus, we call it the fourfold gospel. That Jesus is our savior, sanctifier, healer, and coming king. And you see in the whole logo with all those things smushed together there, that there's the world behind it. Because all these things are to live and be launched on mission for the world. But Jesus saves us. He sanctifies us. He sets apart us apart as holy. He is our healer. And one day he's going to come back. And we are here to proclaim that mission to the world. But just as First Peter says, that he has sanctified us. He has made us holy. But this holiness is for a purpose. How else does the Holy Spirit empower us? Beyond conviction, baptizing us into the body of Christ and holy living. He empowers us by producing maturity in our lives. The fruit of maturity in our lives. Galatians 5.22-23 says it like this, but the fruit of the Spirit but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That God wants us to have the character of him within us. Now, this is not us becoming more loving, joyful, peaceful, forbearance, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled within ourselves. This is not God telling you to work harder and manufacture these things in your life. He is saying when the Holy Spirit comes and you walk in the fullness of God's spirit, he produces these things in your life. It's the Holy Spirit who is doing the hard work in our lives. But we need to submit to the Spirit and allow Him to do that. But what is this all leading towards? Is it leading towards us being mature? Cleaning us up? Making us look good? Or is the Holy Spirit's empowerment more for mission? So far, what we've read, it seems like it's more for maturity. And now I really think it's dependent on what your definition of maturity and mission are. And if your definition of maturity is something like it's been for too long in many churches that it's just being good people, it's not doing bad stuff, it's having some, some semblance of a relationship with God and a good reputation with others. If that's maturity, then no, that's not what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. He wants to do something more than that. I believe that the Holy Spirit's empowerment is for mission that matures us. But it's a priority of mission over maturity. Because a mature follower of Jesus will live on mission. A mature follower of Jesus will live on mission. And where do we see all this? Well, we go back to ground zero, the epicenter of the birth of the church. And the church's birthday is on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. We read Acts 1-8 a little earlier. And by Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out on this first group of believers of Jesus. And when the Spirit of God is poured out on them in Acts 2, we read this. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Two things. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. First, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this word filled means a constant filling. And that we have to do this again and again and again. It's a repetitive action. It's not a one-time thing. You don't experience the filling of God's Spirit and then put that in the past. We need to pray again and again for the filling of God's Spirit. I cannot even tell you how many times I've prayed the simple prayer, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. That has been my most common repeated prayer throughout my whole life, is God, fill me with your Spirit. And so as this group was filled with the Holy Spirit, it says they spoke in different tongues. Now, if you look in Acts 2, if you have a Bible open in front of you, you'll see a little farther down that the speaking in tongues was all known languages. It was languages of the people who were in that city for the festival at that time. And these disciples who did not know these languages were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in the language of all these people proclaiming who Jesus was. It was not some language that was unknown. Some, some actually accused them that they were all drunk, but normally drunk people don't start speaking in other known languages. They might speak in some other kind of language, but not necessarily, you know, if you don't know French, you start speaking in French when you get drunk. It doesn't usually work that way. But here they are, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaiming Jesus in all these different languages. So the first time the Holy Spirit empowers people They share Jesus. They share Jesus. They're sharing Jesus with those around who do not yet know about Jesus. The next time we see the Holy Spirit filling in the church is in Acts 4.8. And we read this. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an action of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. But this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Those are some bold words there. Peter's speaking with boldness. That last statement where he says, salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He is not mincing words. He is speaking it out, the truth of who Jesus Christ is with boldness. So the second time the Holy Spirit empowers people, what do they do? They share Jesus. They share Jesus. And when God empowers you with his spirit, you will open your mouth to proclaim who he is. The two are intricately connected. Now, when we look down at the next verses in Acts 4, this is the response to Peter and John speaking with his boldness. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. What do you say in response when people are filled with the Spirit of God and they're sharing Jesus with supernatural abilities? When they're speaking with this boldness, well, I guess in this passage of Scripture, you don't say much. How do you respond? Because it was clearly not about spiritual maturity. It clearly wasn't about all the degrees they had, how many Bible classes they'd taken, how many Bible verses they memorized, how many Bible tools were sitting on their desk for sharing their faith. No, no, no. These people were not impressed with any credentials after their name. They were impressed that these guys were not the sharpest stick in the pile, pile, the brightest bulb on the tree, the sharpest tool in the shed. They were so impressed that these were ordinary men who had no extraordinary qualifications except that they had been with Jesus and were experiencing the empowerment of God's spirit. We only have to go down you can see a little theme going on here. We only have to go down a few more verses to discover the third time after the day of Pentecost where somebody is filled with the holy spirit. And that's in Acts 4:31. And this is a prayer meeting. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened? They spoke the word of God boldly. The third time, (laughs) the Holy Spirit empowers believers. They share Jesus. I think that's very significant that the first three times in the book of Acts, when we read about the filling of the Holy Spirit, people share Jesus. We can't get around that. There's a priority of mission when you're filled with the Spirit of God. And the list goes on. We can find many other opportunities in the book of Acts and and encounters as people were filled with the holy spirit that they shared Jesus with others if you have said yes to Jesus but you have never shared Jesus can you truly say that you have experienced the empowerment of God's spirit if you have all of the qualities Of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. And you're the shining example of a person with incredible character, but you never open your mouth to share Jesus. Can you say that you have experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit? I believe that the Holy Spirit empowers us, yes, through conviction through baptizing us into the body of Christ, making us holy, producing those fruits of maturity, but ultimately it all points towards his mission to share him with other people. It points to a life beyond yourself that's not just about cleaning you up and making you look good and you being happy, healthy, and whatever else, but it points you beyond towards a mission that he has empowered you for. But you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When we live in the empowerment of God's Spirit, we will live on mission. And as we live on mission, God brings a greater level of maturity in our lives. In the same way that you gas up a car or charge up a car or diesel up a car, whatever choice you have that's in your garage or in your parking spot, in the same way that you fill a car, it's for a purpose. You don't fill your car so it can just sit there. You fill it so that you can use it to go somewhere. Maybe take the kids to school, go to the store, go on vacation, whatever it is, go to work. But the filling is not the purpose. The filling is for a purpose beyond itself. And the same with the Spirit of God. He fills you, yes, so that you can experience him and his presence, but it's for something beyond you. It's more than you. It's for his mission and to share him with others. So I simply ask you a question and put a prayer in front of you. Do you want God to fill you with his Holy Spirit? It's not that God, it's not on God's side, it's on our side. God is willing to fill us all with his spirit. But recognize that if you desire God's filling in your life, that he is going to launch you onto mission and that you will be proclaiming the name of Jesus at times that you thought, how did this happen? And how am I talking about Jesus right now? But recognize that if you pray for God to fill you with his spirit, the natural thing is that you become more vocal about sharing Jesus with others. Any true filling of the Holy Spirit will lead you to share Jesus with others. And here's a simple prayer for those who would like God's filling. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can share you with boldness to those who do not yet know. There's people in your lives, in your neighborhoods, at your workplace, in your schools, in the stores that you go to. There's people in your lives that need hope, They need healing. They ultimately need to hear and encounter Jesus. And God has put us in their lives. And so when we pray for the filling of God's spirit, we're praying that God fill me with your spirit so that I could proclaim with boldness the hope I have in you, the life I have in you to those who do not yet know. If that is a prayer you want to pray, I just encourage you to pray it silently as we go into this last song. And I'd encourage you to look and see how God wants to use you as you're filled with his spirit to share Jesus with others around you. Father, we are thankful that you are a God who gives us your empowerment. We are thankful that you are God who comes to us and convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and the coming judgment. You empower us for holy living. You empower us and baptize us into the body of Christ. God, you empower us with the fruit of your Holy Spirit and you mature us. God, you you sanctify us through your Spirit, but ultimately you launch us on mission by your Spirit. To live in a life and existence that is more than you more than us, more than our small worlds. And I pray that we would walk in the empowerment of your spirit. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit that we could be those witnesses in a bold and loving and appropriate manner to those who have not yet heard of the hope that is only found in you. In Jesus' name, amen.